God bless you. Happy Resurrection Day. Good to be alive in Christ, amen. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to uh, Matthew 28 this morning. Uh, I know your bulletin says uh, Luke 24. Uh, we will get there. But uh, first, uh, we want to uh, do a reading here. Uh, get a little backdrop as we look at uh, the resurrection events um, from Matthew 28. I'll read, you can follow. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get you one. <clears throat> now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. And as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. Uh, excuse me. Let's see here. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Uh, then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away uh, while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. And so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And saying, the saying is commonly reported among the Jews uh, until this day. And then the 11 disciples uh, went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you today as we commemorate and remember, Lord, this incredible event, Lord, one of the greatest miracles that have ever taken place, that, Lord, you rose. You rose from the grave. You rose over sin and death. And, Lord, you demonstrated your great power because of who you are. Lord, you're not just a man. You're not just any man. You're the God-man. And how we thank you and praise you that because of your death, your resurrection, that, Lord, we can have new life 
And Father, we pray for that today. We ask you that by your spirit, you would speak into our lives. You see each one of us. Lord, you know us. Lord, so thoroughly, you're our creator. And Lord, uh, you've not only created us, but Lord, you want to bring us into the, Lord, to the regeneration, Lord, where we experience, Lord, new life in Christ. And so, Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this day. And Lord, what it reminds us of once again. And so we ask you that by your spirit and through your truth, Lord, you'd minister your word to our lives. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke 24, we want to look at Luke's account. And uh, we entitle this piece, Jesus is Passing By. And so, uh, you know, as I read this particular gospel story, I, I think of an old hymn uh, by that title, actually, uh, that Jesus is, is passing this way. And I think it captures for us the truth that what happens is that Christ, um, you know, reaching out to, to our lives, and there seems to be junctures in different times where the Lord, uh, where the gospel of is presented to us, or we're reading the Bible, um, or, you know, somebody is maybe witnessing to us about, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ and about our need for a relationship with him, that he's giving us this opportunity, that in a sense he's passing by our life, giving us an opportunity to invite him in. And that's what we see uh, is, is needed, that needs to take place. We need to ask him into our life. We need to invite him into our life. Yes, he's God, he's sovereign, he's created us. He, you know, not only created us, but he's created us for his purpose and for his pleasure. Uh, and, and to realize, uh, many of us don't realize, uh, you know, before a certain time, uh, you know, until we hear it, that God has a plan for our life. God has got a purpose. He's got a specific design for each one of our lives. Um, you know, sometimes we think God deals with us like a herd. No, he deals with us as individuals. Uh, he's called us uh, into a glorious and wonderful and eternal relationship, you know, with himself. And um, as we, I want you to turn here to uh, Luke 24, 13. And I want to just jump into this story here because we read in, in 28 here the, the backdrop, uh, you know, for the resurrection story there. And this is resurrection evening. Uh, the disciples are in a state of confusion. Uh, they're also, too, in tremendous shock. Uh, for the last three years, they've walked with Jesus. Um, they've expected, you know, a week earlier when they, when they came to Jerusalem, and we know there about the triumphal entry and uh, people were throwing palm branches down and, and quoting scripture and saying, Hosanna. And I think the disciples were, you know, had certain political expectations that Jesus would just sort of roll into Jerusalem um, and the leadership would just sort of welcome him and they would begin the kingdom and they would throw off, you know, the, 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 the yoke of Rome and so forth. Uh, but of course, none of that happened. Uh, he didn't design for it to happen in that particular way. Um, we see that his first coming is different than his second coming. His first advent is much different. Uh, we were singing here a moment ago uh, that he's a lamb and he's a lion. And in his first coming, his first advent, he comes as a lamb. He comes as a sacrificial lamb, uh, basically to offer up his life, uh, you know, for the sin of, of mankind. Uh, he comes uh, in his uh, uh, second coming. Uh, that second advent will be basically, uh, he will come as a judge. He will come as a lion. And... Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, when uh, the uh, early church, uh, those who believed Christ and heard his message, uh, they thought he was going to sort of just ride in on a white horse and just sort of take over and the kingdom was going to begin. 
Uh, and certainly that's not what the Lord had in mind. Uh, he had something bigger in mind. He, he had something more than some political liberation, and he had something uh, in mind uh, uh, relative to the salvation and redemption of the entire world. And little did the disciples fully understand that even though Jesus had communicated that with them time and time again, uh, in the second half of his ministry, he began to just sort of prepare them, uh, you know, for the cross and for the resurrection. But it seemed to be uh, that, uh, you know, they had their own aspirations, their own, you know, perspective and how they were looking at it. And there was a lot of times they actually really didn't hear what Jesus was saying. And of course, when sometimes they did, like at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus began to speak about the cross and his suffering and his passion uh, and so forth, uh, you know, Peter takes him aside and he's going to kind of reprove him. You know, the Lord, stop talking like that. That's kind of a negative type of thing. Uh, we don't want to hear that. We're, you know, and of course, you, you know, from their perspective, Jesus walks on the water. He raises the dead. He feel, fe feeds thousands of people. He heals people carte blanche in a wholesale kind of a way. So you can only imagine from their perspective that they're assuming that he's going to go in there and maybe perform some kind of miracle um, uh, that's going to just sort of change everything, and the kingdom's going to begin. Uh, but, of course, uh, the Lord had a whole other purpose, a higher purpose, um, than just uh, meeting their political aspirations. And so uh, they're uh, terribly discouraged and confused at this particular point. And you can imagine, because here, the movement has been decapitated. Their, their leader uh, is dead now. Um, he's made certain, you know, promises and so forth. And uh, when we find the disciples at this particular point, uh, they are absolutely defeated. Um, they are confused. They are basically in shock at what has taken place. That's why I kind of laugh at, you know, when people uh, say that the disciples had planned and plotted the fake death and the seeming resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were in no shape to. Uh, you know, they're, they're you know, at this particular point, uh, they were just, they were hiding. They were in fear of their life. Uh, and so to think that uh, they, had, they had staged all this is absolutely incredulous and ridiculous. And so we meet here on the road, resurrection evening, two of them leaving Jerusalem, talking about the events. And of course, uh, uh, the events that have taken place, you know, over the course of the last couple of days were, were absolutely traumatic um, in, in not just in a sense dramatic, but they were traumatic uh, in the sense of what had taken place. And so they're discussing that. And of course, I would imagine as the, this road that led in and out of Jerusalem was a very busy place of concourse. Uh, people walked everywhere. Um, and so I imagine people were coming and going. So it wasn't all that strange for some stranger to overhear the conversation and just sort of come up alongside them. And that's what Jesus does in the context of our story here. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. We were just on that road, uh, you know, just uh, west of Jerusalem just a few, uh, two weeks ago. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And you can imagine that they are devastated and they're in total unbelief. Not just a little bit of unbelief. They are just absolutely devastated. They don't know what they're going to do at this particular point. Um, and so it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You know, regarding uh, sometimes when uh, trials and trauma comes into our life and, and situations that are uh, much bigger than us, uh, oftentimes we try to reason them. We try to figure them out. 
you know, when it comes to the spiritual life and the spiritual world, you know, you can look at it outside, you know, as a lot of times people will investigate religion. Uh, they'll maybe look at the Bible or they'll look at Eastern religions and they'll sort of look at them, you know, from the outside. But I want to tell you what, regarding the Bible and, and spiritual life as we find it in the scriptures, uh, there's no way that you can reason and figure it all out. Uh, you got to put your foot in the water. You got to step in. You you got to you got to commit yourself. You know, by faith, in order to really have any kind of understanding. Because I think also too, not only initially, but even in the spiritual life, as we've come to know Christ, uh, a lot of times things may happen to us, um, and we try to reason them out. We try to figure it out. You know, why did this happen? Uh, you know, it's one of the questions that, that I think comes to us as believers, once we know the Lord, is when something negative or traumatic happens to us, we're like, why did you let that happen, Lord? You know, aren't we just supposed to have a wonderful and a happy life? Um, you know, this, this American version of Christianity, uh, it, it's very different, really, from what the Bible speaks about, uh, you know, tr the true, you know, genuine article of Christianity. That's why it's important that we read the Bible. Uh, that we understand what the Christian life is, is all about. We, sometimes, we, again, we, uh, we, we look at it uh, in the glasses uh, through the lens of uh, uh, American Christianity. And American Christianity can be kind of all over the place. It can, be kind of, it can be kind of wacky. It can be dead. It can be wild. And it's, it's important if we're going to really understand uh, and reason um, you know, about what you know, true spiritual life is and what a relationship with God is, we need to look to the Bible. And that's why we put a, an emphasis, an important emphasis on the Bible and the Word of God. So while they conversed, they reasoned it was Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. And remember too, you know, the, the scripture says he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, Jesus wanted to teach them. You know, if he would have revealed himself right away, they would have went bananas. Uh, they would have been touching him, feeling him. Wow, it's you, Jesus. Incredible. So he restrained their eyes uh, from, from basically the comprehension that this was the Lord. They're just thinking it's some guy. Some guy obviously has a handle on the Bible and a handle on Scripture um, because he's wanting to teach them. Uh, he's wanting to teach them something very important because this time, post-resurrection um, experience for their disciples was a transitional period. In other words, you know, you can imagine what it was like to be with Jesus. Every time there was a perplexity or a problem or a situation, they didn't do anything. They just turned around and looked at him. What's he going to do? But see, now it's a whole different relationship. Now they're going to have to walk by faith. They're going to have, have to trust him and rely upon his spirit to guide him. Uh, and they're going to need that, you know, the word of God as a compass, you know, in their life. And so he's helping them to transition, you know, into that whole new phase. And so basically he, he holds or restrains, uh, you know, their comprehension from understanding because uh, he's going to give them an awesome and incredible Bible study, um, you know, during this time. And so he said to them, what conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Uh, in other words, uh, he's able to recognize, you know, he's Jesus. He can see into their heart, into their life, just like in a sense, you know, we're, we're able to see, you know, the, 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 a person's face. Their countenance is sort of a map oftentimes, isn't it, what's on their heart? You know, when someone is joyous and they're happy, uh, you can see that. Uh, when someone's angry, you can see that in their countenance. We can read a lot by somebody's body language or by their countenance. Um, and so he sees that basically they are full of sorrow. Um, and, of course, you know, that happens to us even in the Christian life. 
Uh, it isn't all just joy, 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 you know, happiness and all that sort of thing. Uh, I was thinking about Jesus. Um, Isaiah identifies him as a man of sorrows. Do you know the word sorrow? If we just sort of uh, put it in a contemporary vernacular, it's depression. Um, and, and Isaiah said Jesus would be a man of sorrows. And we see that. We see that we, 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 uh, as we look at him in the sorrow, um, as he was about to drink that cup in the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and it also, I think, means that you know, we as well, we will experience sorrows and depression you know, in our life. But, you know, and perhaps maybe if you've, you've ever had a depression. I remember a few, well, about 30 years ago now, actually, uh, I went into a two-year depression, and I just felt like I was being sucked down. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a depression, but I've heard this similar sentiment that when you go into it, it feels like you're just being sucked down into a vortex. And I remember I could not get out of it. But you know what? The Lord got me out of it. And that's why it's important. Uh, you're going through a difficult time like that, and, and circumstances can kind of get you down, and there are things that can really, you know, depress you. And uh, you need to look to Jesus. Uh, he's the one who lifts us up. Uh, we find verses of Scripture like that. He reaches down in the miry clay, and he lifts us out of our circumstance and out of our situation. And actually, he's going to do that here. You know, I love that verse in, in the Psalms. It says, sorrow may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, that's only true of a Christian. Yes, we endure sorrow, but in the whole scheme of things, it's only for a night. It's only for a period. Uh, but joy will come, you know, in the morning. And, and it says, then one of those, or excuse me, uh, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him. Now, I believe that we find uh, over in John 19.25, we find a person there at the foot of the cross. Her name is Mary. But it's interesting, it identifies her as the wife of Cleopas. So I believe, according to the scriptures here, that who is coming back from Jerusalem is Cleopas and his wife. Uh, they've been there for the events of the weekend uh, and what has taken place, and now they're coming home and talking about it. They're basically going to their home there uh, in, Emma in Emmaus. And uh, so he says, uh, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, another interesting uh, little question by the Lord, what things? And so he begins to say to him, but I just want to just stop for a minute here and just remind us, um, God's questions are interesting. He's not asking us, he knows, he knows all things, okay? He's <laughs> um, omniscient, he knows all things, he, he knows... Uh, uh, the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. He knows your future. And that's why I think oftentimes, because God does know everything, he often reaches out to intervene in our life at a very critical stage. I think that's important to realize because we don't know the future. We don't know sometimes, you know, what, what's gonna, what our future is going to entail. Uh, we don't know sometimes uh, relative to maybe certain decisions or choices that we're presently making, not knowing where they're going to take us, but he does. And I see God oftentimes, not only you know, in my own life, but in, in, in so many others as well, that he intervenes at, at a critical time because he wants to save us. Uh, he wants to do a work in our life. He wants to protect us. You know, one of the names of our Lord is a savior. And he doesn't just often, he doesn't just save us initially. I, I find that you know, God is saving me every day. 
And it's not a matter of eternal security. It's a matter of saving us from ourselves, you know, saving us from sin, saving us from the world, and uh, sometimes saving us from, you know, some of our goofy decisions. But we find oftentimes when we look in the Bible, the questions of God are interesting because he's not necessarily asking for information, but he's trying to get us to think about where we are or where we stand because what he wants to do is, you know, depending on where our particular situation in life is, he wants to bring us where he is. And sometimes we can be in a precarious or even in a dangerous situation and not even know it. But yet he does. He, again, he knows, the, he knows the future. He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows the future for each one of our lives. We need to respect that. We need to understand that, that the Lord wants to intervene. And as we basically commit, when you, you, know, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you're committing your future to him. You, you're, you're committing an uncertain, you know, unknowable future to him because he does know it. He knows it in his perfect wisdom. Uh, and he intervenes to work in our life. And, and when we do commit ourselves to him, he is constantly intervening, constantly working uh, to protect us, to guide us, to direct us, and sometimes to redirect us after maybe oh, decisions and choices that we may make. Uh, so again, the Lord puts a question out here, what things? Because he wants to take them from their place of depression and defeat, and he wants to bring them basically to his point of view. God's always bringing us to his perspective because his perspective is accurate. You know, sometimes I look at things and uh, I, I, you know, I assess them, I look at them, and I think, oh, wow, this is a pretty good situation. Uh, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get involved in this. And there's been things where I've gotten involved and, and, and I've begun to make decisions, uh, and I've come to realize, man, they're so wrong, so off. Um, and that's why it's important you know, that is, if we have committed our life to Christ, that, that we are, are looking to him for continual direction and guidance and leading. You know, the Bible says that those who are, you know, that uh, have the spirit of God, you know, that they are led by his spirit. You know, he wants to direct and guide uh, our lives. And not, not that he has to micromanage our lives, but it's important that we put our decisions, our choices, uh, our guidance, you know, for direction, you know, in our lives. Uh, I've... Um, you know, as a parent of, uh, and, and Margie and I, for our five children, um, we, we prayed for them as we, we raised up our kids. We're, you know, we're empty nesters and have been for a long time. Um, but we still pray for them. We pray for our grandchildren now, that the Lord would be working to guide their lives and to protect them because we realize how, how sometimes foolish or wrong our, our choices and decisions can be. And so uh, he says, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, uh, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our, and our rulers uh, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day and since these things have happened. So it's interesting here, we get an insight to, to the fact of the matter is, what they had on their hands was a dead prophet. And their hope was gone. And sometimes it takes that uh, in order for us to realize that, you know, sometimes our aspirations are, the, are, the, are you know, our plans and our purposes um, are not always God's purpose. You know, I wish, you know, the Bible says, uh, uh, Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean we have the mind of Christ as believers all the time. Uh, I wish we would. Um, but it means that we can have the mind of Christ. And, and 
I think as we pray and we, we bring God by prayer and by faith, you know, into the, in the equation of our lives and our decisions, uh, that then we do. We can have the mind of Christ. We can have his direction. But we find them here that all they simply had was simply a dead prophet, no hope. Do you know that dead religion leaves Jesus on the cross? Dead religion leaves him on the cross. They don't see him as a resurrected savior, you know. And, and again, that's why so often people that can have religion, yet in a sense, they can be hopeless. People can have religion and not really have the Lord. Uh, I don't know about you, but many of us have grown up in denom Christian denominations that we really, you know, that we maybe belonged, we were born, maybe we were christened, uh, maybe we went through some religious instruction and some rituals, but we really have to say at the end of the day, I really don't have any kind of living relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. And, and it's important that we have that. You know, when I was thinking about uh, the disciples here um, and the fact that uh, what they did have in their thinking was simply a great prophet, but a dead prophet. And I was um, doing a little research regarding uh, the new repackaging of Jesus Christ Superstar. If you are old enough, you remember it was, um, you know, basically uh, came out in the 1970s. It was a rock opera, um, very catchy lyrics, very powerful. Um, music and uh, it's been popularized again I guess it's the new version of it uh, or the repackaging of it and, it and it's and it's on tonight and what what is sad to me is that many people will watch something like that and that will be their theology that will be their gospel according to Jesus and you know when you think about this you know whether you watch or not that's your business but I'm just saying don't be deceived by it don't be deceived as you watch that because uh, it's basically about the seven last days of, of the life of Christ. But the perspective, it's through the lens of Judas Iscariot. And uh, Judas basically, according to this uh, rock opera, has been un misunderstood regarding his intentions. In other words, he was really a good guy. Now, they do portray Jesus as a good, as a good prophet, but he's confused because he's a man only. He's not God. He's not deity. And, and, of course, we know that that is blasphemy. And also, too, you'll, you, know, you see within uh, uh, the production there that Jesus basically gets, gets very bugged at people because he's a man. And he basically shouts at one point, leave me alone, uh, kind of thing. And also, too, they portray Mary Magdalene uh, as, as, as a person basically who is only romantically drawn to Jesus. So I just... Throw that out there to you because, you know, people will watch that. People will watch that and they'll never read the Bible. They'll never read the gospel. And they will form and shape their opinions about the Bible, about Jesus Christ according to that. Because basically, Jesus Christ Superstar makes out Judas to be the hero. And uh, that's certainly a, 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 a major, major twist uh, from the Bible. So uh, let's continue on here in verse 22. Uh, we have here the, the explanation uh, to Jesus uh, from Cleopas. He says, yes, uh, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, um, basically saying that he was uh, alive. You know, it's kind of interesting because uh, there's, there's no mention here only in 
one gospel. There's no mention here uh, post-resurrection because remember, Mary Magdalene was the first person that Jesus revealed himself to. I thought that was significant. Uh, significant in the sense it was countercultural uh, because you know a, a test of testimony of a woman could not even be used in court in those days. And so I kind of, I, I find it kind of fascinating that, that Jesus, and again, it's just the grace of God. It's just the grace of God. The first person that he reveals himself to is a woman who had seven demons and was also considered to be a woman of ill repute. And I kind of wonder when she came back from the tomb because she was the first one and began to tell, tell the disciples, if they're like, well, you know, it's Mary. You know, she's a charismatic or something like that. And after all, we know her background. You know, can we really rely upon, you know, what she says? I wonder. I wonder if maybe the conversation or the thoughts may, may have been somewhat like that. And again, you know, we find that our Lord... He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Keep that scripture in mind because it's a template that you're going to find happening many, many, many times. That God uses the things that people write off. God uses the things that people consider foolish. God uses the things that are rejected, you know, by our, our culture. We see that, you see that not only in the New Testament, but you see it all the way through the Bible. And so verse 24, certain of them who were with us went to the tomb and found that just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And again, they're in total rank unbelief. And to suggest that they had planned and plotted this whole thing out is incredulous because these guys could not plan their way out of a wet paper bag at this particular point. They were just, they were totally stymied. If you ever had something shock you and hit you like that, you just, you, you know, you just, it's hard to come back from. Every hope and aspiration that they had was dashed. But oh, God had a better plan. Re remember that when those kind of things happen in our lives, when our plans and aspirations are sunk, and it seems to be something that it's an impasse, impossible to fix, that we serve a great and awesome God. We serve the God of the impossible. We need to remember that. Because so often, uh, you know, we can believe God to do things. It's amazing, isn't it, how you can believe, you know, God to do something in someone else's life. As a pastor, I do this all the time. You know, somebody says, well, I got cancer, pray for me. I got a situation, you know, my marriage is falling apart, pray for me. I'm losing my job, pray for me. And I go, oh yeah, praise the Lord, I'll pray for you. Lord, we ask you to intervene here, we ask you to work. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible. Uh, and so on and so forth, and amen. And, and you know, it's amazing how, yo, I just felt the presence of the Lord, thank you, thank you for that prayer. Uh, as maybe, you know, a bunch of us huddle around somebody. But oh, when it comes to me, <laughs> when it comes to my situation, it's like, a, whoa, it seems to be a whole other thing. But, you know, we, 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 same, we serve the, 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 the true and the living God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I, I thank God for the little interventions and miracles in my life and in the life of God's people. 
We need to remember that. Because so often I think when uh, something seems so impossible or unfixable, man, we run to the world. Or we, you know, we try to fix it with our resources, with our money. How about prayer? How about crying out to the Lord? How, how about God's intervention? If you have a friend who, I mean, they say about 120 people. That's, that's a, probably an average or a rough estimate. 120 people dying every day from opioid overdose and heroin. And we've had a number of families in this church over the last two years, three years. We've had about four of these funerals for young people in their 20-somethings. You have somebody in your life that you love and you care about. I've, I've come to realize that if God doesn't intervene, there's no hope. That's why he calls himself the God of hope. And so how do we get him to fix that? How do we get him to intervene in that problem? You and me. We have got access by prayer. We've got access to God Almighty. And the Bible reveals his throne is a throne of grace. God longs to intervene. God longs to help. God longs to bring change and transition and transformation in hearts and lives. And we got all these people around us. I know you got, a, you got your sphere of activity and people around your life that you want. God, if you could only just get into that life, I know it would make a difference. Are you praying? Are you trusting? Are you believing God to do something? Because he will. He's a God who answers prayer. He's a God who intervenes today. And he wants us to trust him and believe him. Now, he says to them, Jesus says, he says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. And, of course, too, they had a three-year tenure and tutelage, private tutelage of Jesus. In the scriptures, I imagine every time Jesus did something, he gave scriptural proof for it or some teaching that related to it. You know what the Bible, the Bible definition of a fool is? It's, it's Psalm, 14, Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That, that's the Bible's definition of a fool. A, a person who says, well, they're, they're, I don't believe in any God. I, I thought it was interesting. I was just watching the news yesterday. And you know Stephen Hawking just passed about a week ago. Uh, and he was an avowed atheist. Avowed atheist. Uh, he totally objected, you know, to the idea of God in, in any Bible truth. And I thought it was interesting because there was a musician. I think he was a British musician. No, he was an actor. I'm sorry, he was an actor. And it made a point of the fact that he read Bible verses at his funeral. Interesting. Apparently, he didn't give any instruction about that in his passing. A lot of people do. A lot of people, you know, when they're, when they're going to pass, they want, you know, their memorial service or whatever. They want it in a very certain way. And I thought as brilliant as this man was, 
that apparently that wasn't mentioned. And somebody was bold enough to read the Bible at his memorial service. You know, uh, as we speak of those things, there's many people who their whole life, they live the life of an atheist or maybe an agnostic. Agnostic is only different in the sense that they say, I'm, I don't know anything about these things. Maybe, maybe there's a God, I don't know. But you know, for those people who resist to the bitter end, you know, five minutes after they're in eternity, they're a believer. You know that? Five minutes after they cross through that portal of eternity, they're a believer. Because they realize at that point, the Bible was true. The Bible is right. And that's why the Bible says that those who are in eternity without God, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think maybe I'm crazy, but I think about these things all the time. I guess I do a lot of memorial services. I do a lot of funeral. And, and I think about people, you know, when they step into eternity and they realize that they're there for the duration. And I wonder how many of those people that have stepped into eternity said, you know, here was my wife, here was my husband, you know, here was this person in my life and they begged me. Whoops, oh boy, here we go. Okay, <laughs> we'll try not to, that's the first time I did that, okay. <laughs> and, and they begged me, they, they begged me and, 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 uh, and, and I resisted, I, I knew they were right. Do you know how many people say, I know the Bible's right, I know there's a God in heaven but I'm just not ready yet. Do you know how many people say that? And yet they never really truly follow through to commit their life to Christ? It's the most important decision you will ever make. I know we make some important decisions, you know, especially when you <laughs> sign your name on the dotted line for, you know, 200000 to buy a home or whatever. But your most important decision, that, that decision pales in, in comparison to committing our life to Jesus Christ. That's, that's the most important decision that you will ever make because that has eternal consequences. And that's why when you sense the Lord tugging at your life, that's the time. That's the time to commit. Because you're not always going to feel like that. And so beginning, we're told here, verse 27, again, what a great Bible study that had to be. It was a survey through the entire Bible. And you know the Bible points to Jesus. The entire Bible, even the Old Testament. It, it points to him. It, it's all about him. Sometimes you can read it and get lost in the minutiae. But it's about him. That's why when I read the Bible, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an insight, a little revelation about you, Lord. Isn't it interesting how there's something about relationship? You know, we put an emphasis, great emphasis on relationship with people. 
you know, it's a, I, I think th this maybe perhaps uh, highlights it a little bit. You know, like when you take a picture of a landscape, that's great, that's cool, that's beautiful. But you know what's interesting about a picture? When there's people in it. And, and see, God has called us into relationship with himself. You know, we, we benefit by relationship with one another, but the ultimate relationship is with him. Think of this, Jesus Christ is the ultimate person. And, and there's something transformational when we connect with him, when we interface with him. And, and by faith, we receive him, we ask him to come into our lives. I think a lot of people are afraid of that. They're afraid of that because they think, you know, if I invite Jesus in my life, I can't have fun anymore. I used to think that. I, I used to think I was having fun when I'd wake up with a hangover the next day. Or did you ever wake up with such a hangover, you don't know where you were the night before? And it's like, where'd my wallet go? Where, where's my money? Where's my keys? You ever wake up like that? A lot of people do. When you know him, you can wake up in the morning and have a clear conscience and say, you know, we were at church last night and got together and have, we were singing. We were at a Bible study and we were singing and carrying on last night. We had such a great time. And it didn't cost you anything. It was wonderfully free. Let's go on here. And I think this is, I don't think we should glance over verse 28. I think it's very important. And they drew near the village, Jesus, Cleopas, and Mary, where they were going. And he indicated that we have gone further. I always find that fascinating. He indicated that he was just going to keep going. And I think there's a principle here, and I think it's an important one, and that is simply this. He wants us to invite him in. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You ever think about that? He wants us to invite him in. He wants us to ask him in. You know, Jesus will not violate your freedom of choice. There's theologies that teach that. There's a theology that teaches, well, you get, you, you're born again and then you believe. Well, the Bible doesn't tell me that. The Bible tells me to believe and to put my trust in him. Now, I know that we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not all human effort. <laughs> but he wants us. And that's why I think oftentimes people come to Christ all the time in crisis. But you know, when I came to Christ, I didn't come to Christ in, comp in, a, in a crisis. I, I just, I, things were going great in my life. I had a brand new home, great job. My wife was working. We had, a, we had a, uh, not only a new home, a new car. We had a good future. But I knew I was empty. I knew my life was empty. And a lot of people come to Christ because there's a crisis going on in their life, and they basically know they need God. They need something outside, you know, of their own resources. And I think oftentimes people are just sort of like, okay, I'll try God.
but we have to volitionally realize our need that we open up our lives again whatever verbosity you want to use with that in the context of our story we're, we're, we're saying invite they're, they're inviting him um, Cleopas and Mary are saying come into our house come in and dwell with us and again there's a principle there and they constrained him saying abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent and he went in to stay with them now here comes the revelation moment. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he broke bread, blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And notice this, then their eyes were opened and they knew him, they understood who it was and he vanished out of their sight. But you see, it was so important that he share those, the truths of scripture with them so they understood what was taking place because again, if he would have revealed himself on the road, they would have been about touching him, looking, oh, it's the Lord, I can't believe it. They would have been so distracted by the fact of who he was. And he saw it to be so important that they needed to have comprehension and understanding of the Bible, excuse me, and truth and scripture. I think that's a, a lesson that every Christian has to learn. The Bible needs to be important in my life. It needs to be the, the comprehension. I, I, you know, that, that, that's the beauty about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I was kind of telling somebody about it uh, a week ago or two. And I said, you know, our lives are like a ship. And the Holy Spirit's like wind. And I'm talking about an old tall ship. Um, if you don't have wind, that boat ain't going anywhere. But you not only need wind, you need the compass. And the compass for us is the Word of God. The wind and the compass, they work together to get that ship into port. And each one of us, in a sense, we're on a journey. We're on a voyage. Our life is a ship. And God has stepped into our life, and we have his Holy Spirit. But also, too, we need the scriptures. We need the compass for guidance and for direction. So that's why it was so important uh, in order for them to understand that before he revealed himself. And so their eyes are open here, and he vanishes out of their sight. You know, just like that. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Man, I'll tell you what, folks, we need that kind of heartburn. We need that kind of heartburn. I was watching uh, a pepper eating contest on TV. Did you ever see one of them? There were some pretty hefty dudes there, and they were eating all these like ghost peppers and some of those other really hot things. I, why do people torture themselves like that? I don't know. Uh, just to get a plaque, you know, just. And it was interesting because all these big burly guys there and this little girl wins it. <laughs> and they're drinking, you know, quarts of milk, the assuage, the, the burn. I'm not a pepper guy. I don't like peppers, so uh, I wouldn't even know what that's like. But I'll tell you what, what we need is we need the Holy Ghost in our lives. We need that kind of heartburn. We need him motivating us. We need the fire of God's spirit in our life. That would happen for them. That would happen for them on Pentecost in, uh, in a few days. 
So they rose up the very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. And then they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And, of course, they did not believe them as well. Mark's gospel, chapter 16, tells us that Jesus came on the scene and reproved them for their unbelief. And now as they, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you, or shalom. And then they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a ghost, a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, it is I, myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see me have. Um, so he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said unto them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And we get an interesting little insight here into the glorified body, that the glorified body has flesh and bone but no blood. It's not made out of this stuff, okay? The glorified body has a digestive system. Another insight we have from Scripture, the glorified body can walk through walls. I'll tell you what, folks. When we get our new model, it's going to be fun. No more illness, no more sickness. No more going to the dentist for a root canal. You can eat all you want. You won't have to get out that calorie counting book. No more diets. Oh, thank God. No more diets. And, you know, it's interesting, too, how when we think, of, you know, is, is anybody perfectly happy with their body? I mean, there's some real, there's some beautiful people in our world, okay? Like you look at them, it's like, wow, they're so handsome. They're so beautiful. But, you know, for the most part, you know, we look in the mirror, it's like, ah, wish I could change this, wish I could change that, and so forth. I'm going to tell you what, when you get your new model, you're going to be perfectly happy with it. You're going to look in the mirror and say, oh, just what I had in mind. Perfect. It is. It's going to be a beautiful, awesome experience. And that body you will have will be an eternal model. The Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We've begun to taste it. We've tasted a little bit of that. But we have not seen nor heard the glorious, eternal things that God has got for you and me. And I'll tell you what. Being a Christian was worth it if it was this life only. If our only benefit of being a Christian was this life only, hey, it was worth it. But folks, this is only the beginning. We have a glorious future, and I want to tell you what, the way things are going in our world, <laughs> it may be sooner than you think. That's why the Bible says be ready. We need to be ready. Okay. Uh, verse 45, with here uh, the disciples there in Jerusalem, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Again, if I can say anything about this study on the road with Jesus 
and the couple and, and the disciples there in Jerusalem. He is stressing the importance of understanding and comprehending the scriptures, the Bible, because soon he's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. And all they're going to have is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to guide and direct them. You see, the resurrection is very important because without the resurrection, folks, we've got no message. There's no faith. There's nothing to believe in. That's why when Paul went everywhere, he talked about the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. Because without that, we've got nothing to believe in. And that's why Paul said, we are of all people most miserable. And also, too, there's no power over sin and death. That's why Paul, in uh, Philippians 3.10, he speaks about the power of the resurrection. You see, the power of the res resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we believe, is transferred to you and me. Well, you say, well, I don't feel all this power. Well, it's by faith. That's not because you have some vibe or some feeling. It's transferred to you by faith. That's why, what's it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 52 or something like that, where it says basically we are given the victory of Christ. He grants it to us when we come to him. And so we have a power. That's why Paul said in, in Romans chapter 6, sin shall not have dominion over you and over me, over the child of God. It can. It can and it does in many cases. When you choose it, when you open up your life to it. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have, that's the beauty of repentance. The beauty of getting cleansed. The beauty of, once again, you know, none of us will ever experience the innocence in our life, but you can, you can experience purity. I'll tell you what, folks, there's a power in purity. There's a wonderful power that's expressed in and through our lives when our lives are a pure life. And I'll tell you what, I know that's hard. It's not easy in our culture today. And also, too, if there's no resurrection, folks, there's no eternal life. That's why Paul said, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die if there's no resurrection. There's no eternity. There's no, there, there's no eternal life. Now, he says in verse 49, we want to wrap this up and close, close here. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And, of course, we know that takes place in Acts uh, chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is, is wonderfully you know, pouring out upon God's people. That was the very beginning. And uh, as we come to Christ, we experience that uh, as well. And you can say, in a sense, even this morning, that Jesus is passing this way. Nobody knows your life like you do. What you struggle with, what you need, what you desire. I'll tell you what we really need, folks, is we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need Christ in our life. That takes place. You will be endued with a power. You know, sometimes I, I realize how practical the power of the Holy Spirit is when I have to love somebody who's unlovable. When I have to exist in a, a job that's difficult or in a relationship that is painful. In those kind of situations, 
the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is released and expressed as we trust him in our life to give us grace to be able to handle that particular situation. Uh, I don't always read the Daily Bread. It's a good little publication. We, we, you know we offer it here. But about five years ago, my wife reads it all the time, about five years ago, um, I picked it up to read it. And it was very uh, pertinent and, and relevant. And it's one that I clipped and I've shared a few years ago, and I want to share it with you this morning because it has to do with a very difficult situation in someone's life. And it shows you the, the practical nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he's in your life. It doesn't mean because we're a Christian that we're never going to face challenges and difficulties. But what it means is that he'll be with us. That he'll empower us. That, that the condition and the situation doesn't devastate us and wipe us out. I think that's why people turn to booze. That's why I think people turn to drugs. That's why I think people commit suicide. That they're at an impossible impasse in their life. And they don't know how it can be fixed. But not so for the believer. And that's why we need to share with folks around us that are, that are maybe, they, you know, maybe they don't look like they're hurting. But everybody's got problems. And we know the one who can make a difference in their life. This woman's name is Julie. <clears throat> she says, after my doctor announced that I had cancer, I tried to listen to what he said, but I couldn't. I went home. I pulled a blanket over my head, and I fell asleep on the couch as if sleeping would change the diagnosis. And when I finally gained enough strength to tell my loved ones, my friend Judy said something especially memorable. And so after expressing her sympathy... She said this, quote, this is what will happen. You will feel really bad for three days, and then you will get up and figure out, try to figure out what you have to do and get on with your life. But then she added this, I think it has something to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. At the time, I didn't believe it. I was sure that life as I knew it was over. Nothing would ever be the same. I couldn't imagine feeling normal again. But my friend was right. Three days later, I woke up and I realized that I didn't feel quite so bad. And little by little, despite the physical misery of chemotherapy treatments, my emotional and spiritual condition improved significantly. And she says, I died to my old reality and I was raised to a new normal. And thankfully, God is in the business of resurrection. For those who have died in Christ, death is one the death of one reality means the resurrection of a new glorious normal so that we can walk in newness of life. You see, that's only true for the child of God. That there's a resurrection power that comes no matter what the reality is. So a lot of people sometimes they face a difficult reality and they say, well, I'm just supposed to believe. You don't know my reality. You don't know my problem. You don't know my situation. It's been like this way for years. And what we have to do is get rid of the attitude and disposition of unbelief and begin to focus our life upon the Lord. 
Because he's the deliverer. He's the emancipator. he's, He's the one who wonderfully sets the captives free. He's the one that can break the chain in our lives. And when we turn and look to him, like Isaiah said, look to me and be ye saved. When we look to him, he's the change agent. And he desires, he longs for you and me to bring him into the equation of our life or to bring him into the equation of our situation. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And even though your body will die, yet because you believe in me, you will live. As we close in prayer, I just want to ask you, If you feel a need in your life for the resurrection power of Christ in any way, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you. We're going, to, we're going to close in prayer. You're among friends here. You've got nothing to be ashamed about. He longs to meet our need. He's a great and awesome God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to you today. And Lord, you, you see very clearly, very perfectly, Lord, into our lives. Lord, nothing can be hidden from you. And Lord, we want to thank you for your great and awesome love that you would go to a cross for each one of us. You would give your life. You would take our punishment. You would take our judgment. And you would transfer your life and your righteousness to us. Lord, that's incredible. Lord, that's that's beyond anything a man can imagine. But Lord, you've done that. And you rose from the grave to demonstrate your power over sin, over death, over hell. And Lord, we look to you today. We realize over and over again Lord, the need for your power in our lives. We realize our vulnerability. We realize, Lord, our weakness, our moral weakness. We realize, Lord, our our emptiness. Lord, we need your fullness. We need your life, Lord, filling our hearts, changing our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would respond accordingly to each and every heart here this morning. As each person, Lord, opens up their heart by faith to you, that you would grant them your spirit, grant them your life. If there's a need for forgiveness, Lord, Lord, let them know that, Lord, you forgive them. And let them know, Lord, you are the God of new beginning. You're the God of hope. And, Lord, we are so grateful and thankful, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And yet, Lord, all that you're going to do in, in days ahead and in our future. So, Lord, we, we are thankful this morning. We are thankful this day, Lord, for your, as we commemorate, Lord, your power, resurrection power over sin, death, and the grave. And so, Father, bless, I pray, Lord God, your people. As we go, Lord, today, and we're with families and loved ones, 
sharing dinner and conversation. Oh, God, I pray you bless your people in a wonderful way. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.